Good morning. I have a ton of energy. Not exactly sure why, but I'm excited about this passage. I'm excited about what we get to talk about this morning. I'm excited that youth group's happening today. I'm excited that obviously there's a couple of football games that matter. I'm excited, but I'm most excited about the gospel. So let's go. Since we picked up back in Acts, this year we have seen Paul concluding what is known as his second missionary journey. That's where we are today, and then we're going to see his third missionary journey begin. And it's like really subtle and really quick in the passage. We chose the book of Acts because we have seen the Holy Spirit move and use the apostles to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And looking back at the beginning of the church of the living God, the reason that we gather is because God set out and did this originally. It's been good for us to see how the church began and the work and the power of the Holy Spirit who is still at work today through the church. The collection of his people who have been included in Christ by grace through faith. Today's passage may feel more like a Thomas road guide map. Does anyone remember these? Okay, Mike and myself and Kyle, oh, thank God. All right, my friends remember, praise the Lord. But today we will see how important it is for us because any and every time we open the word of God, it is an opportunity for the God of the word to change us, to transform us, to conform us more into his will and his likeness. And as we have studied this letter of this historical beginning of the church of the living God, we have witnessed men and women believing and having their lives interrupted and changed for the glory of the Lord. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters, this is verse 18, and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centuria because of a vow he had taken. From what we studied last week, we know that Paul's time in Corinth lasted for about 18 months, and it was full of hardship and difficulties. He also met Priscilla and Aquila, and after doing a lot of life and ministry together, we presume they set off for Syria together. But prior to this voyage, Paul, who had taken a special vow, if it is implied that the same one that we read in number six, I'm not going to go there, but there is one there. It was a vow of special devotion to the Lord by fasting and abstaining from many things and not cutting one's hair. Some of Luke writing about this probably was to point out that even though Paul was now a devout Christian, a follower of Jesus, that he did not do away with his Jewish heritage. Because here's the thing, Jesus, or everything that he believed was actually fulfilled in Christ as a Jew. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. And as we studied last week, when Gallios, the proconsul, made the determination that any accusations against Paul were essentially family matters. We actually watched that show this week. Did I do that? Anyone? Okay. See, this was not a new religion, according to Gallios, but a continuation of Judaism, according to Roman rule. Paul had completed his vow now, his fast, and cut his hair, knowing that it would be proper to do so, not for vanity's sake, but for his ability to be all things to all people. And as we read, he writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9.20. It's pretty popular. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself, Paul, am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. Paul cut his hair 
as one who had finished his vow as this Jew, even though he was Jesus's possession now, he was still of Jewish heritage, of nationality, and of blood. And he, while sent to reach the Gentiles, also too was a Jew who wanted to be able to reach the Jews and not be a stumbling block to them. Many who become Christians, even to this day, struggle with giving up their past spiritual habits. And Paul, who was saved by grace through faith, felt a conviction to continue in his Jewish traditions. This, while not required of any Christians who came to Christ after being a practicing Jew, also should receive some grace for what and how they worship through some of these traditions. The struggle today for people who come to Christ from from some other religion or some other faith, some have certain practices and traditions that are actually opposed to Christ. And they become like idols, that they're unwilling to be given up. And we share the same devotion for those idols that we ought to share for Jesus. My hope that we can take from this is that our lifestyles are all going to be a bit different. Can we be real about this? Our reactions, our responsibilities, our responses, our priorities, our points of view are all going to be a bit different. And yet we are still saved by grace. Not by works, not by morals, not by effort, so that no one will boast. So if we're saved by grace, we ought to look to others with grace, who have confessed Jesus as Lord and don't act the way we assume that they ought to act, basing it totally on culture rather than what the scriptures say. So verse 19, they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Paul ends up at Ephesus. And where does he go? You guessed it, the synagogue, where Jews, Greeks, and even some Christians like Priscilla and Aquila would continue to frequent to hear the scriptures read. And why was this okay? Well, for Paul, this was where the spiritually curious would be. And it wasn't too hard for Paul, a Jew, a former Pharisee, to open the scriptures and point to the interpretation that showed how it was all about Jesus, who was the fulfillment of what was written. Verse 20, when they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail for Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and he greeted the church and then he went down to Antioch. Paul, after reasoning in the synagogue for a while, was even asked to stay a little bit longer from the Ephesian synagogue, but he declined. What a drastic difference from Corinth, isn't it? Where they began to heap abuse on him for testifying about Jesus' resurrection, but in Ephesus, they wanted to hear more from him, and yet he felt led to leave. And yet he shared that if it was the Lord's will, he'd be back. And spoiler, I read ahead, he comes back for three years. It was a big deal, but we'll, we'll get there next week. Paul leaves Ephesus, goes to Caesarea, goes up to Jerusalem, greets the church, then heads to Antioch. This is the concluding of Paul's second missionary journey and the beginning of his third missionary journey, all surrounding his contact with the church in Jerusalem. Verse 23. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Remember that term, strengthening all the disciples. 
Now, Paul had apostolic work. He was an apostle, he was traveling, and he was to return to the people of the cities where God had begun to establish his church in Paul's first missionary journey, which we studied all the way back in Acts chapter 12 through chapter 14. Paul had a deep concern and conviction to care for those he was involved in becoming Christians. The care was that they would be spiritually healthy, feeding on the word of God, and not something placebo or shallow. And if they and if we are feeding on the truth of the gospel, on the truth of the word, then we are able to grow, not just by hearing it and doing nothing with it, but by exercising it. That's just a fancy way of saying obedience. And then with sharing it with others. So here's a question for you, and you don't have to answer it to me. I'm not going to get you guys into groups, but I want you to think about this. When was the last time you opened the scriptures with someone else and discussed what you believed it means or what you learned from the passage. For some of us, we'd say in our last community group. Some of us would say with someone that we're in relationship with. Some of us might say, I never have. And our hope at Church of the Valley is that you would know the Son better each day. That is our goal as a church, that you would get to know Jesus better each day and you'd grow in your understanding of grace. So you want to grow? I'm pretty sure you do. Like, this church is not about just chilling. This church is about growing. So let's get really practical. Read the word, do what it says, share with others what you've learned. Read it, do it, share it. Bop it. Boop. Never mind. I couldn't find my bop it. I was going to bring it. Now, I cannot tell you how incredible the change in this church body and this area and this city and this county would be if the people who identified with Jesus actually did that. They read it. They did it. They shared it. They practiced it. And they talked with others about it. Now, we don't do community groups, which we're about to offer, which I'm going to encourage you to sign up for at the end of the service. We don't do community groups because we want to be busier. Amen? Oh my gosh, no. We're plenty busy. But we offer community groups. We have a staff member who organizes them, trains leaders, recruits people to groups, prays for those in groups, and begs God to give those who are not involved in community groups the nudge they need to sign up and sacrifice an evening, sacrifice a morning once a week to be in the word together, to talk about something that has eternal value, to read the word, to get to know the son better, and to do it with people who we probably would not spend much time with for any other reason than our shared love and interest in Jesus Christ. So we get the opportunity to grow in grace, both because we want to know Jesus better but also to know grace personified, but also to receive and give grace while we rub shoulders with one another. Community groups are a way to practice reading the word, cheering on one another to actually exercise what we're learning and give us a pretty simple opportunity to discuss the word of God with other people, which is provided to strengthen each other in their faith. I can't tell you how important this step is. For us as a community, we know life gets in the way, doesn't it? 
We know it's almost never convenient to do groups when there are a hundred other things biting for our attention, but our involvement in community around the word of God is vital to our growth spiritually. And it's an opportunity for us to know the son better, to grow in grace, read the Bible, apply it, and even share it with someone else. And the opportunity is right there for those who want to take it. For those who want to pass on this, I'm sorry that you're going to miss out on the growth opportunity that is offered to you. I'm going to get real. <laughs> like, I almost called, I was going to call this sermon Dirty Laundry, and you're, <laughs> yay. Um, we have a lot of dirty laundry in our house, mostly because five kids. But I feel like 2020 and all the way maybe even up to now was a season of conflict. It was a season of disagreements. It was a season of mistrust and heartache. And while I don't want to assume or act like everything is fine today for whatever reason, it's not, I got to encourage you as the congregation of Church of the Valley that the time to focus on your relationship with Jesus is now. Maybe you've been distant. Maybe you've felt numb about your walk with Jesus. Maybe you haven't gotten over being disappointed by someone or some decision. But, here's, but there is the sense that not just here, but all over the Bay Area, as I talk with other pastors about their ministries, the people have changed. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. And while I agree that this has happened, I would contend that God is always pruning and shearing his church to cut off the dead branches and to provide a more ideal opportunity for fruit. Church of the Valley, do you want to grow or do you want to play church? Because that second one sucks. And if you want to play church, there are plenty of other church buildings that are much better maintained than this one with pastors that make much better promises than I do that probably would have more resources for any and everything you might want in a church than this one. But for those who want to grow, it will require putting into practice what you learn and talking about it with other human beings. Ooh, shivers. It will take your heart being open to the word changing you. It will take you not being so sensitive to think that if someone disagrees with you, that they hate you. They don't. Or they are against you. It will take a community of believers who prioritize the gospel of grace above all else, and it won't be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. It won't always be fun. But Jesus, the one true God, the one who lived and died and rose again from the depths of death, he makes it worth it because we are with him. And if he is for us, then who can be against us? Let, let me be real. I'm struggling. The past two and a half years have been emotionally detrimental to my being. But you know what hasn't changed? Even though the world has drastically changed since, do you remember the year 2019? Does anyone remember this year? We had it so good, we didn't even know it. You know what hasn't changed even in this church body, which has drastically changed since 2019? You know what hasn't changed even though the economy and culture has changed oh so much since last decade? Jesus. That's who hasn't changed. And I like to quote the writer of Hebrews, whoever he is, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And he offers the same grace to us today that he offered when we first believed. He hasn't changed. We haven't outgrown our need for him. He is the God of second chances. Let me be clear. He's the God of hundredth chances. But I believe it begins with our willingness to humble ourselves, to repent, to take responsibility for the fact that we don't prioritize Jesus. We prioritize everything else and then add Jesus into our life when we feel guilty or have a bit of free time left over. Jesus doesn't deserve our leftover worship, church. He deserves our devotion. He deserves our praise. He deserves our lives. And you know why I know that this is what we do to treat Jesus as someone who gets the table scraps of our times and talents? Here's why. Because I'm included in this. I do this. I look forward to days off more than I look forward to time alone with God, if I'm being honest. I pray more with others than I pray by myself. I spend more time in the Word because it's my job and not my lifeline to God's love. And I'm telling you this because I want to repent of this. I'm as guilty as any of us when it comes to this. But I can't keep quiet. I am called to shepherd and feed the flock. So church, are you with me? More importantly, are you with Jesus? Do you need to repent of treating him like he isn't the actual Lord over your life, but a necessary time suck that you do to keep up appearances? Throughout the scriptures, throughout church history, where revival has broken out within a community, it was because the Holy Spirit brought people to their knees in humility and repentance happened. It came first. And then God's outpouring of change followed. And I want to be a church that depends on Jesus for our salvation, for our breath, and for our entire lives. But none of us are doing that if we can't bend a knee and repent and can't actually admit that we have done this wrong and apologize to God that we have worshipped other gods in politicians and celebrities and athletes and even Christian heroes. There is but one hero, and his name is Jesus. Okay, rant over. Back to the text. Verse 24. Now, there's another rant coming. Sorry. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. Oh, I want this to be said about me. Though he knew only the baptism of John. Enter into the fray Apollos, a name that doesn't get talked about too much other than here, later in Acts, 1 Corinthians, and Titus. But what do we know about Apollos? It's that he was a pretty respected man with a, probably a pretty big personality that others were drawn to. He was a Jew from Alexandria in Egypt, a city known for its education and its philosophy. Apollos was characterized as one who was a learned man with a greater understanding of the scriptures. He had been taught the ways of the Lord and taught about Jesus accurately, as Luke says. He also spoke with great fervor, but only knew about the baptism of John, which could imply that he probably was a follower of Jesus, or maybe he was just a follower of John the Baptist at this point, or perhaps he follows Jesus, but like we will read next week, did not fully understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm not really going to get into it. It's not all that crazy. It's not all that outlandish. 
But come back next week because we're going to teach on it. But the baptism of John was to believe in both the Messiah and in repentance to change direction. But it usually lacked the understanding of the Spirit's work and salvation. And the reality is that Apollos was probably very persuasive. He was very intelligent. But like all of us, he did not have it all figured out and still needed others to teach him, to instruct him, to disciple him on the things that he was yet to understand. So here's what happens, verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. I love this. Now Luke, the disciple of Paul's, is the one writing this, and Luke continues to point out the fervor and the passion and what we assume is a pretty wonderful gift mix of communication that Apollos has. And yet, personality is not where the power comes from when it comes to the kingdom of God. The power comes from the Spirit of God to not only give gifts, but to use those gifts for the glory of God. And when I read this verse, I kind of cringe. I cringe just a little, because while I don't think Luke implies what I'm about to say, I can easily put myself in this text, which isn't necessarily the right thing to do, and think back personally to my younger years in the faith. I believed, I was passionate, and I was quick and probably even bold, I guess. But man, I was as deep as a puddle in the Bay Area prior to all these storms we had. I loved Jesus, but when I would talk about him, I was not well learned. I was pretty surfacey, while also being reliant upon my personality far more than on the Holy Spirit to speak through my study and my preparation. But for Apollos, enter in Priscilla and Aquila, this Roman Jewish couple who had traveled and served with Paul from Corinth, that had learned from an apostle, now is there to help fill in some blanks that perhaps Apollos was yet to understand or know regarding Jesus and his work through the apostles. When, when, when I got here and, and a church plant kind of merged with Church of the Valley uh, I, about five and a half years ago, I had a pretty large emphasis on one-on-one -on -one discipleship. One-on-one. -on -one. We get together, we grab some coffee, we talk about the scriptures. And I remember being challenged with the fact that Jesus spent more of his time with the 12 and with the three. And that's what's generally explained in the Gospels. Now, sure, Jesus spent time with the Samaritan woman and others individually, but his crew, that was more of a small group. That was more of a community group, if you will. Uh, you see what I did there? But I emphasized one-on-one -on -one because much of what I saw in the churches were pastors that were not able to spend time with their people individually. And for years, I did this. I would do up to like 10 meetings a day at Pete's Coffee. And people would come and go, and we'd talk about life, and we'd go and open the scriptures, and we'd pray, and we'd share takeaways, and then we'd go on our way, and some of it was great. And some of it was a dumpster fire falling off a cliff. But it wasn't necessarily sustainable, which others in ministry who had been serving many years more than me were like, bro, that's not sustainable. And they told me that, but I didn't want to believe them. But now I'd say our discipleship strategy is actually a bit simpler and it's more attainable for everyone who wants it. But listen, you got to want it. You got to want to grow. 
You got to want to be taught about God more adequately, but it begins with you, not me, not the leadership. We're constantly doing stuff. We're constantly giving opportunities for people to be in the word together. If you want to grow, you partner with the Holy Spirit by effort. That's how you grow. You partner with the Holy Spirit by effort. Get in the word. Read. Use a study Bible. I'll recommend some if, if you want some. Or a teaching team, raise your hand. A few of you are on the teaching team. Fantastic. Ask one of those hands about a good study Bible. But get a study Bible. Write down your questions. Read the scriptures. Write down things you're less sure about. And, and here's the other thing. When we read the scriptures, just know that you don't always know what you're talking about. And neither do I. And that's why we spend time in the Word, and that's why we spend time around others, and that's why we have study Bibles, and that's why we look at commentaries, and that's why we wrestle with the holistic understanding of Scripture, and not just one verse out of context on the bottom of an in-and-out cup. <sighs> I was doing staff reviews this past week, and, and I'm sorry, there's two of you I forgot to tell this to. Uh, you know who you are. You'll know in a second. Um, I discussed how everyone was doing in those staff reviews. I offered to them individually that when they meet with me, what I want them to do is to pick a book of the Bible. Tell me which book of the Bible. And I want them to study from one verse to a chapter of that book of the Bible. And when they meet with me, the very first thing we're going to do is study that before we talk about details, before we talk about vacation, before we do anything else. Why? Because we want to model this. We want to practice this. We just want to be in the Word together. We want to study and we want to be able to direct one another with the questions that we have from the passages. And the reality is, this is actually kind of easy. It's harder to pick a book than it is to study it. And we're not only going to do this when we meet, but we're going to do this to begin whenever we meet. Because it is far too easy to just talk about details and work and forget what we are doing here as a church which is helping one another know the sun better and growing in our understanding of grace. Church, you have friends in this community. You have friends in your life that are believers. Grab coffee, bring your Bible, and I hope as you jump into community groups that relationships are formed and invitations are actually uh, spurred out of that from a community group. Hey, I kind of like you. Let's grab coffee. Let's say the Bible separately. And here's the other thing. I'd encourage you, if you're a part of this church, if you're here, this is your first week, I'm so sorry. But this is what we do here. I, if you've been here a while, I'd encourage you to offer to serve in some capacity in this church community. Here's a few options of faithful people uh, where we need faithful people that are needed from the Church of the Valley community. First one, children's ministry. We have a wonderful group of people that are serving, but we could always use more people that care about these kids, that pray for these kids, that want to pay attention to these kids, that want to point these kids towards the gospel. And so here's what I encourage you to do. Talk to Aaron Riley, our children's director. Go say, hey, I'm, I, I, I'd kind of like to talk about children's ministry. Do you have a few moments? And maybe not right after service today, but soon. Write it on a card. Drop it in the box. Send her an email. The whole reason we have a live stream is not so people can not jump into community. The whole reason we have a live stream is so we can record it so those serving in children's ministry don't have to miss out on what we did here. They can watch it later. Some of you are musically inclined. Not it. And you might be afraid to play in front of a group of other people. That's okay. 
Talk to Malik. He's our worship lead. He loves to spend time with aspiring musicians. Many of the people that are playing on, on the platform now have spent time with Malik, and they've talked, talked about it. They've had their natural gifts, and Malik is like learning every instrument I've ever heard of and some I haven't heard of to help others be able to be trained and use their gifts for the glory of the Lord. Perhaps you have a heart for youth ministry. Sixth grade through high school. If you do, I praise God for you. And I encourage you to talk to Karen. Karen, wave your, your broken arm like you don't care. Yeah, that's good. Or not arm, broken wrist. Yep. I'd encourage you to talk to Karen. She has a wonderful team of leaders that would love to help equip you to serve and be available to our preteen and teenagers in this community. Okay. Apollos. He was a young, we think, intelligent and charismatic man who believed in Jesus through the Old Testament and was humble enough to receive more instruction from Priscilla and Aquila. Receiving instruction, church, is so much harder when you're thriving at stuff or you're gifted at stuff than when you're struggling or unsure. Pride gets in the way of our learning more often than we think, and we discount the voices that God might be providing us to learn from because of some external reason or excuse. Verse 27, we're almost done. That's not true. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was great help to those who by grace had believed. Apollo wanted to go to Greece to minister. He was endorsed by many of the believers that he had ministered to in Ephesus, and they wrote a letter of recommendation encouraging the believers in Achaia to receive him and to trust him. Luke writes that Apollos was of great help to those who by grace believed. I'm only going to say this once. Those who believed in the gift of salvation, they believed, and that was the gift of salvation, but they also believed, which was a gift as well. The fact that you believe is a gift from the Lord. Paul, speaking about people's tendencies to put the emphasis on those who proclaim the gospel rather than Jesus and his gospel, said it this way to the church in Corinth. He said, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. That's Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? The answer is no, by the way. And Paul is setting the stage for a problem that began in Corinth and still is as problematic today. Don't praise the tools, praise the carpenter. So Paul, again, speaking of Apollo, says this two chapters later in 1 Corinthians 3, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants? Through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So those who serve, especially in bringing you the word, we are not the point. We have never been the point. Yet we are tools that spread the seed or we water it, but God is the one that makes it grow. And Apollos, as Luke writes in Acts, was of great benefit and encouragement to those who by grace had believed. He strengthened those believers with the word. I bet he opened it with them. I bet you they discussed it. Pretty sure there were questions and answers. Pretty sure they thought through stuff, and I bet God used that to help the church in Ephesus be one that was fruitful and God-honoring, and they were defenders of the truth. 
Now, we're not the church in Ephesus, for the record, okay? We might have some great elders, but none of them are John the disciple whom Jesus loved. While we might have a Tim as the lead pastor, I'm no Timothy of the scriptures that was discipled by Paul. Yet there are words that Jesus says to this church in Ephesus who had been established by Paul and had Apollo's investment in and care for that remind me a little bit of where we've been. In Revelation chapter 2, Paul speaking to, or Jesus speaking to the church in Ephesus says, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. If you've been here a while, Barbara's been here for six, uh, 68, 69 years. Is that right? Yep. You've persevered, my sister. For some of us, you've been here for decades and seen preference and culture tend to draw people away in the, from the community. You've experienced differing opinions on politics and methodology. I've read some old stuff about what's happened here. If you've been here for the past, say, five years, conflict has not been something we've been like, yay, bring it. But we also haven't ran from it. As difficulties and differing opinions on interpretation or lack thereof became an issue because what we believe does because what we believe does dictate how we behave and some didn't believe so they acted as such. If you've been here through the pandemic, there have been differing opinions on almost everything from race to public safety to the media to human rights. And it has been a pruning and persevering time. Jesus says to the church in Ephesus that they cannot stand wicked people. And the reality is that wicked people are all around us, church. They include us. But what Jesus means is people who attempt to reverse the saving message, perverse the saving message of the gospel and misinterpret who Jesus really is. We haven't had too many false apostles come through here. <laughs> Good. But a few who believe they were prophets and believed that they held the only true interpretation of the scriptures. And while it's been hard to contend against this because it's meant broken relationships and it's meant sleepless nights, we've done it. We as a community have endured hardships and that has only made the gospel more real and more necessary. Not just in salvation, but in everything. And then Jesus says that you haven't grown weary. Now, let me just be real. I'm not sure I can say that's true for me. I've grown pretty weary. But that doesn't mean that God isn't doing amazing work over and over in the amount of time that, he is, that I've been a part of this community and even before I was here. But the reality is it hasn't been quick and painless that he's been growing us. But, and it's a big but, the church... The church in Ephesus, even after all these encouraging things that Jesus says about them, he still has something against them. Here it is. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Now, I'm not saying this is true of all of us, but it's true of some of us. And I just want to point out that when we first came to Christ, it was exciting, wasn't it? It was new. It was a different feeling. It was a different worldview. It answered a lot of questions about our existence, and it created new ones that we could explore in God's very word. 
And over the last couple of years, with the disruption of the pandemic and our country in particular being on fire in so many spiritual and cultural ways, it is made from what myself and some leaders have admitted about. It is made what we think is a bunch of people who have been coasting as leaders. We've been on cruise control. We've been going through the motions because with all the trauma and with all the drama of the past few years, we have been functioning in safe mode. That's a PC Windows reference for you Mac people. But at least for myself and the leaders I have already spoken with about this, there is a sense that it is not time to coast anymore. We are turning off cruise control. And we want to get after making Jesus known in our lives. We want people that we go to school with and work with. That doesn't mean we walk up to them and just vomit Jesus on them. That's a gross picture. But we want to make sure we're not missing out on the opportunities that God's prepared for us. This doesn't mean we just get busier. God, no. It doesn't just mean we offer more events to go to. Nope. Who's got time for that? It just means we're putting more time in the needs and goals of COV as a community. So now I'm almost done, for real. Our elders have taken it upon themselves to step up. So we are in the process of creating some ministry teams that are very, very needed here at COV. Kyle Zilka, I won't make you stand even though you are a beautiful young man. He is one of my favorite people on earth. And he is helping create a ministry that would help maintain this wonderful campus that we have been given to steward and utilize for gospel proclamation. There are things that need to be maintained and projects that need to be done. And Kyle is a godly man who does a lot of this in his daytime job. And he's taking on the task as an elder to hopefully bring some people together in this community to serve and help us utilize this campus more and more for the glory of God. So if you're already like, man, I want to be a part of that. Or you're like, I really want to hang with Kyle, because who doesn't? (laughs) Please go and talk to him and invite him out to coffee. Our elders, Daniel Delwood and Mark Frederick, are beginning the process of helping us revamp our deacon's ministry that cares for the needs of the community and having an organized way of utilizing people within the community who care and want to share in the blessing of serving others in their need. Mark is one of the most sincere and empathetic men I know. And Daniel is one of the most organized and gospel-centered people I have ever had sushi with. (laughs) So I am really, really excited about both of these ministries and the leaders that will be helping equip others to serve. And my hope is, as a community, we'd remember our first love and how we felt when we first believed, we'd get off cruise control. If we've been on it, we'd stop coasting, and we'd love the gospel personified in Jesus with a passion and purpose as we enter and leave the walls of this building. Okay, back to our final verse. I promise. Verse 28, about Apollos. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. The New Testament hadn't been written yet, for the record. And Apollos encouraged the believers and helped strengthen their faith while also defending and contending for the faith, validated and verified by the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. 
There's no other belief, in my opinion, that validates the rest of belief in Christianity while also setting apart those who are confident in their faith and those who perhaps don't actually realize the point of the Christian faith. Worship team, come join me up here. I'm going to close with this. We believe that God has entered into the fray of his creation. And his creation rejected him. And because of our sin, it was that very sin, that separation from God, that God decided to not expect mankind to work our way to him. He instead worked his way to us by living a perfect life that we cannot live. Dying a sacrificial death that we should have died. And victoriously and physically rising from the dead, defeating the stranglehold that sin has afforded us, which is death eternally. Death does not get the final word. Jesus does. And you know how I know that? Because the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Son of God, who knew no sin, became sin for me and you, and guess what? He rose from the dead. And he is alive today as he was on the third day. And any and every one of us who believes this and places their identity in Jesus inherits eternal life, and that begins now and lasts forever when you put your faith in Christ. So how do you respond, church? Well, we're going to sing. That's a way, but not the only way. Go talk to Aaron about children's ministry. Go talk to Malik about worship ministry. Go talk to Karen about youth ministry. Go talk to Kyle about property ministry. Go talk to Daniel and or Mark about deacon ministry. Or go sign up for a community group after the service and be a part of the church that wants to know and grow in Jesus Christ by opening the word, talking about it, and sharing it with others. Or at the very least, communicate something, either a prayer request or something you'd like to uh, know of a way that you can serve on the communication card that's in front of you, write your name, write your contact information. You can drop it in the box as you leave. I'm gonna go take a nap. But my hope for us is that we wouldn't just hear this word and go, well, he was excited. But that God would revive in us an excitement. Because like I said, he's as alive as he was on the third day today. And he is working, and his spirit is moving, and the Holy Spirit is giving us the opportunity to obey God through his word and to teach others about him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, and thank you for each person that is here. I pray, God, that you would do something in our hearts to want to serve you and love you and obey you, not because we want to be seen, not because we want people to think that we're really holy, but because, God, once we know you, we ought to want to grow in you. So, God, would you do your work amongst us? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.